The Y Curve with Phil Dobby and Roger Hearing. A war of tanks, missiles, trenches and mortars and bombs. Ukraine in 2022 looked pretty much like the Western Front in 1918. But hang on, wasn't this supposed to be the era of cyber war? Wasn't this the point at which warriors were all going to be on keyboards, bugs and viruses were going to do the fighting, taking down financial systems, penetrating our mainframes, hobbling our high-tech existence? Well, it hasn't turned out that way. So whatever happened to cyber wars? Does Russia not have the capacity? Or are the West's countermeasures too good? Or is the whole cyber war threat a myth after all? The why? Curve. So do you know what, though? I mean, there are people, obviously, sitting in rooms who yeah. are conducting wars because they are directing drones. You know, well, so yeah. we, we've got this new technology which is being used to fight an old-fashioned war Well, exactly. It's, it's a halfway house, isn't it? Mm. But the, what we were all told was that, this, you know, even, even the whole explosive thing just would not be there because what would happen is yeah. the Russian hackers would get there, they get deep inside all the systems that run modern states, including Ukraine, and would take it all down. And that we would suffer in the West as well, you know, that the mm. city of London will go down. Hasn't happened. All of a sudden, BBC One just wouldn't be there well, one yeah. day. I mean, how, how well, terrifying would not that, just that. Can Listen, you imagine? Our health systems, yeah. our taxation systems, our administration. Well, you, maybe he, maybe they are doing that, because none of those things are working particularly well. <laughs> maybe we can blame it all on the Russians, perhaps. Mm. Well, that would be the new state and uh, the new way of out of this. But no, I mean, the, the point is, it was expectation. We'd, mm. It was something that, that had been said. Now, maybe, maybe, uh, it they, hasn't happen for particular reasons well maybe they're trying it and we're stopping it you know that is that is and then we're not going to be told that because obviously if we say hey they're doing all of this and we're managing to stop it then that is just going to influence more people to try it yeah i mean the the suggestion was that the 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 mod were going to be bringing into play their countermeasures and and actually putting in bugs viruses whatever to the russian system well i mean there aren't there's i mean there's a few different things aren't there there's and we we hear about some of these things happening so denial of service attacks where you know you just get a particular website just gets pinged to the point it falls over and that you know that does happen well, uh, but sometimes it, ha- sometimes it happens just because there's too many people yeah. vote- voting gone on something or but sometimes it can then you've got malware which is you know obviously spreading yeah. stuff that well, all the would, stuff is there but, yeah. but it's just it, we were told it would be uh, epoch making that there would be a, a real major problem well I think the big fear was that hacking wasn't it someone yeah. was going to ha- hack into our nuclear defence system yeah. for example and start firing off missiles all or, kinds or, of things were supposed to be possible closing down power stations all and that we've, we've certainly seen elements you know things like this had happened in the past there were yeah. particular occasions where uh, well the, the NHS got crippled by a, 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 in theory a criminal enterprise which demanded ransom yeah. to, to same, to same thing happened to a pipeline in the United States you yeah exactly taking uh, but, fuel down the east coast but this hasn't I mean, they paid the ransom they did they yeah. did but what hasn't happened during this war is an obvious push through from the Russians or indeed anyone else. Yeah, but the, there's another side to this as well, though, isn't there? It's not just the hacking or the, the malware. There's also just trying to drive influence, you know, so all the bots, the, the yeah. bot factories where people are there uh, influencing through social media and the like. And we, I mean, it seems like that is going on, well, it but is. it's harder to pinpoint. It is and it isn't, because what's happened, the assumption with the function of that will be to drive debates and stop people, for example, wanting to keep supporting Ukraine. They would mm. say, oh, well, you know, it's nothing's working, uh, it's 
it's winter, we're all getting cold, and it's all because of this. And there's an element of that, but it's, mm. it isn't changing the debate in the yeah. way. Did it change the debate on Brexit? That's the question. Did it change the well, debate all, on the Scottish? Well, the 2020 did election in Donald, the US? Exactly. Did Donald Trump yeah. get in? Well, maybe. But if all that happened then, why isn't it happening now? Well, one mm. person who might be able to answer some of these questions is Kieran Martin. He was the first CEO of the National Cyber Security Centre here in the UK. He's now a professor of practice in the management of public organisations at the Blavatnik School of Government at Oxford University. And he joins us now. So, so Kieran, um, I mean, if Russia has all of this resource supposedly sitting behind it to, to be able to make our lives difficult in some way online, whether it is, you know, by uh, spreading malware or uh, uh, trying to hack into systems or just driving influence, uh, if, if that is the case, I mean, it seems they're not terribly good at it because it's not working, is it? I think framing it like that misunderstands what cyber capabilities are, how they work and how and why they're used. So in the last year, you can look at the cyber dimension of the Ukraine crisis in two different ways. One is what's going on between Russia and Ukraine. And the other is what's going on between Russia and the West. And they're two different issues. So uh, between Russia and Ukraine, there has been a very active and intense cyber contest. Reasonable people can disagree about how effective Russia's campaign uh, has been. So at the start of the war, uh, Russia launched uh, a pretty sophisticated attack against um, Viasat, which is a competitor of Starlink, a satellite communication system. It was timed to coincide with the invasion. It clearly took a lot of preparation. These things don't happen overnight. And according to the Ukrainians themselves, it deeply damaged Ukrainian military communications in the first weekend of the war. Now, thankfully, lots of other factors went against against Russia at that point, Um, but it was a sophisticated and damaging operation. And since then, there's been a contest in both directions. There are plenty of people in Ukraine working on behalf of the Ukrainian government who are sort of hacking up Russian uh, systems, Uh, and Russia has tried to do... um, malware attacks against Ukraine disrupt government systems and so forth, but there's been an incredibly effective cyber defense uh, uh, effort um, from Ukraine. So, uh, uh, Yeah, that, that's really interesting, Kieran, because what what we've seen, I mean, I take on board that in, in the initial phase of the war, yeah. there was this, this takedown, but almost as a parallel to the war we're seeing, uh, the trenches, the mortars, the bombs, the missiles, it seems like Ukraine is is punching above its weight because we were all told that Russia had very sophisticated uh, hacking technology, the yeah. ability to disrupt, uh, and one assumes that, that, that Ukraine had rather less. Well, Russia does have very sophisticated hacking technology, and if you look at the hack of Viasat, that was a sophisticated operation. But one of the limitations of cyber is that um, you can do large-scale basic hacking at, at very large scale, but to do something of the sophistication of Viasat, um, you can't do very many of those operations because they take a lot of time, elite resources, money, and, 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 and so on. So you can't do very many of them. And what you're seeing now, for example, um, is when, you know, the murderous Putin regime is trying to disrupt everyday Ukrainian life through the disruption of energy supply. They're doing it by actual missiles rather than uh, what they used to do in, say, 2015 and 2016, which was a very long, painstaking cyber campaign. Because sadly, in real state on state, in full state on state war, uh, you know, 
options such as launching missiles against power grids are uh, are open to you in a way that they're not in uh, peacetime. In terms of Ukraine's cyber defense, there were things such as, I mean, really simple but really effective things such as the very uh, swift migration of Ukrainian government services to the cloud. And that meant that they, instead of being on-premises where they were easily hackable by Russia, they were in, eff- in effect protected by gigantic American companies. So that's the sort of dynamics of the Russia-Ukraine uh, uh, cyber war. Um, however, if, if you take the separate but related issue of Russian threats against the West, this is where the misunderstanding of cyber capabilities uh, comes in. So again, those those elite those elite capabilities are there. We've seen them in the past. Say, for example, in 2015, it is alleged with a lot of evidence that Russia carried out a hugely sophisticated uh, operation to take a French TV station uh, offline. That's just one example. Again, it took a lot of time, elite resources and, and, and so on. So you can't do that many of them. But the point that I want to make, Roger, in um, and Phil, is cyber doesn't exist in a vacuum. So if you said at the very start, Russia could make our, it is assumed that Russia could make our lives uncomfortable in cyberspace, and to a great extent, that's true, but it couldn't do that in isolation. So uh, Russia clearly you know, uh, has murderous and evil intentions towards Ukraine, but it's not since the invasion, it has not tried to provoke the West. Uh, in, why? In, I mean, why would it not want to do that in the circumstances? Presumably, they're too busy. I mean, if, if there's only so many resources, and if you're saying it's 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 not an easy thing to do, and it's a race, isn't it? So, so every time you 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 go down a road of trying to hack into a system, you've exposed the way you're doing that, and presumably you can't do that again. Well, firstly, you can only speculate because, in effect, we're talking about what are Vladimir Putin's intentions, and none of the three of us know what they uh, mm, are definitively. True. But I think you can speculate. Uh, with reasonable confidence that there are at least two dynamics going on here. One is resources. There's only a finite number of people who can do this stuff. And if you want them prosecuting the war in Ukraine, then they can't do infinite other things. But the other is retaliation. So um, uh, there is this myth about cyber that you can somehow have this have this invisible effect that has no consequences uh, in a way that other forms of activity would have. So if Russia, for example, escalated sanctions or cut off energy supplies or blew up pipelines or whatever it was planning to do or did another Novichok attack or stumbled troops across the border into a NATO country, you would expect, and I'm not an expert on what the Western response would be, but you'd expect there have to be a response. Whereas in uh, there's this sort of sense that if you do something in cyber, that it's sort of consequence free because it's invisible and it's deniable. That's just not true. Attribution of cyber operations can be difficult sometimes, but if, um, for example, if news broke that in London today, there was an unprecedentedly sophisticated disruptive cyber attack. Um, Probably people would speculate pretty swiftly that it was Russian. Probably the technical authorities working for the government and the private sector would pretty swiftly reach the conclusion that it was Russia. And then for you know the government in London and Washington, you know, the governments in the EU and so forth, you'd have to say, well, what's the response going to be? And for whatever reason, uh, since the invasion, Putin has not taken escalatory steps towards the West in any domain. Do you, do you think that is because he fears 
the, the, the response could be so devastating it would it would destroy what Russia. I don't. Know, what would be- I don't know. All I'm saying, and this is this is the, this is my point. All I'm saying is the calculus for escalating against the West applies in cyber just as much as it does anywhere else. So it is self evident that he has chosen not to take further steps to antagonize to provoke the West. It is self evident. So why would he? Why would he do it in cyber if he's not doing it in military? If he's not doing it in disruptive sabotage attacks? If he's not doing it in uh, economic uh, in the economic domain? Why would why is cyber special? That's that's my point. But even though you say it's it is in, invisible, it isn't invisible. Sorry. So I mean, it's just a question on that. I mean, in in that example you gave, I mean, can it be undeniably proven that uh, that Russia would be responsible for something? Or in the cyber world, is there always going to be that element of doubt? And even if you, even if the experts say, oh yes, definitely Russia was behind this. I mean, it's 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 hard to make a clear case to the world at large that that is the case because I'm sure it's a complicated answer. The the the, the proof would be quite difficult to explain. If, in that situation also, do we respond? Are we in this game as well? So if we, if, if we are aware that Russia is doing some sort of hacking, do we retaliate the same as, you know, in a conventional war and do the same back to them? Again, this is a complete misunderstanding. Why would you, why would, why would you fight cyber with cyber necessarily? So, for mm. example, um, and this is entirely hypothetical, but let's say... Um, and this hasn't happened as far as we know in the world, but let's say the Russian state ordered an operation that disrupted British healthcare, just hypothetically. Would you expect the British state or the American state to retaliate by disrupting the healthcare of Russian civilians? No. That would be unethical and disproportionate, and we have no quarrel with Russian civilians. Would you expect some form of other measures to try to punish the Russian state. Yes. What would they be? I don't know. It could be economic. It could be diplomatic. At some point, you know, people would, um, uh, you don't want to get into the sort of thing, but you'd be sort of speculating as to at what point, you know, Article 5 military thresholds and so forth would be would be reached. Why would you say they've done a cyber? I mean, so the easiest way to think about this, although it's, you know, it's um, quite um, you know, painful and difficult and almost distasteful to think about this, is to, is to use the tragic uh, and awful Salisbury analogy. So Russia launches this you know, unprecedented, you know, the first chemical weapons uh, operation in Europe uh, since the Second World War with the Novichok attack in Salisbury in 2018. Why would we retaliate in kind? Would we do? Did, would we do that back to Russia? No. So why would we do? Why would we replicate? Why would we replicate exactly what they do to us in the cyber domain? Right. We have a bunch of other things that we could do. Right. But if we if we are aware that the that the source of uh, of an attack came from uh, a particular place, and that's why I was asking, you know, how easy yeah. it is to actually identify, you'd want to try and stop them doing that again. So if there's a, if there's some form of uh, hardware or software that's being used. You'd want to take that out, wouldn't you? So, so that it slows down any future attacks using that same process. So, yes. So, this gets you into the role of defensive cyber in uh, countering this type of uh, activity. Now, this and this isn't special to uh, the tragic war in Ukraine. This is a question all the time. So, in a sense, do you hack the hackers and do you try to disrupt their activity? Mm. 
And the answer to that, and, you know, I'm out of government now and these operations are classified. So, you know, uh, A, I don't know about them. And uh, B, even if I did, you know, I couldn't uh, say. But, you know, the Americans, for example, um, have acknowledged on the record that um, they have conducted offensive cyber operations against Russia uh, in the period uh, 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 since the war. Over the course of the last few years, um, they have, for example, uh, it's been um, at least reported, if not officially, acknowledged that the Americans have uh, you know, uh, disrupted the uh, digital infrastructure of some of the sort of troll farms that were spreading misinformation at the times of US elections, for example. Yeah. So this sort of thing does happen. The uh, the, um, uh, the the issue is that um, is about you know how hard a target uh, is it. So I'll, um, I can mention three types of Russian digital operation. Uh, the first is the sort of troll farm stuff, the people who make up lies and put them on the internet about, you know, whether it's about the war, whether it's about elections and so forth. Been, there was an organization called the Internet Research Agency in St. Petersburg that was doing a lot of this stuff. And it is believed that the US in 2018 launched a very uh, uh, successful and sophisticated operation, digital operation against the Internet Research uh, Agency and um, uh, debilitated its um, uh, its its operations quite significantly. Uh, the second is a bunch of um, organized criminals uh, operating from within Russia. They have some sort of relationship with the state. They're not directly controlled by the state. They do all sorts of disruptive uh, operations against um, uh, you know, against hospitals, horrifically against schools. You know, they extort them for ransoms and so forth. Uh, and sometimes it is uh, it has been acknowledged that you know Western uh, intelligence and law enforcement. Aid agencies have undertaken digital operations against them. The third is directly controlled, sophisticated operations um, on behalf of the Russian state from organizations like the FSB, which is the Internal Security Service, a sort of MI5 equivalent, the GRU, which is Russian military intelligence and so forth. Now, um, it would be legitimate to try to disrupt their digital infrastructure. The distinction between them and the other two types of groups is that their operational security would be much, much better. You know, the Internet Research Agency are just a bunch of people who walk into buildings and make up lies and put them on the internet. They're not that sophisticated. They're a reasonably easy target. The criminal groups can be a reasonably easy target. The types of people working for the state will have the same sort of classified operational security as, say, a cyber command in the US, as GCHQ and the National Cyber Force in the UK and so forth. So they're harder to uh, disrupt. So it's not the, the, the point I'm trying to uh, make here is that there's no sort of magic red digital button that you in London or Washington that you can just press to blow up some capability in Russia. It's but, a really hard target. But is, I mean, we're talking about very, we're talking about defensive uh, measures in the sense of, of retaliation, I suppose, and yeah. taking out things that might be doing the, the harm. But, but Kieran, isn't there also, aren't there also defenses that we have in place to stop these attacks coming in? It's one reason that it hasn't happened, that our defenses are actually pretty good. Well, they're better, and certainly Ukraine will be studied for years as a model on how to increase cyber defences at a time of crisis. There's no doubt about that. It's been a hugely impressive um, uh, uh, operation. Uh, and then there are sort of issues of their um, uh, sort of variations of degree in how good our uh, uh, defences are. For really important systems, for military systems and so forth, for systems involving public safety, uh, defences are 
are, are pretty good. Not so much, you know, the cyber defenses have been improved, but also the resilience of them. So, you know, if you do lose the computer system, you design the wider system, whether it's, you know, railway signals or air traffic control or whatever it is, you design it in a way that can cope with the loss of the, uh, of the, of the air uh, traffic uh, 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 control system. I think there has been, if you look back to 2021, Roger, um, where there was a serious outbreak of so-called ransomware from within Russia, not directed by the Russian state, but certainly tolerated and harbored by it. There was disruption to energy supplies in the US because they hacked into a company called Colonial Pipeline. They didn't switch off the pipeline controls, but they basically just uh, wrecked its sort of email and administrative system and that sort of thing. And it meant that the company couldn't invoice and it couldn't organize its safety rosters. So the company switched off the pipeline. You look at what happened in Ireland a few weeks later in 2021, where the sort of um, the equivalent of NHS commissioning, the body, the health services executive, which sort of organizes appointments and medical consultations, it got done over and it was huge disruptions to the Irish healthcare system. It wasn't operating theatres, you know, losing power, but it was people's appointments not being organized and so forth. So it did real damage. There's a sort of soft underbelly of um, vulnerability uh, in terms of administrative systems as opposed to, say, critical systems where you can cause a lot of hassle and convenience and harm. Um, and we need to, you know, we need to tighten that. Uh, it's better than it was five, 10 uh, years ago, but there's a constant challenge uh, to make. I think part of this is the mischaracterization of cyber risk. Cyber generally is not a catastrophic threat. You know, people, we used to talk about things like, uh, you can see why, but we used to, uh, to try and raise awareness. We used to sort of talk about things like cyber 9-11s or cyber Pearl Harbors. That's not really how it works. You know, it's, it's pretty unlikely that there'll be large scale fatalities from a cyber attack. What's much more likely is that there will be continuous disruptive harm, you know, intimidation, data loss, uh, loss of public services, um, et cetera, economic damage, and, should, and, and so on. I should and imagine that's what we have to protect against. I should imagine it's worse when actually it goes on undetected, where it's something that's happening below the radar uh, and it's yeah. having a long-term impact. And, 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 so the, so the, the, and that's where, you know, uh, influence Changing for for example election results, uh, changing attitudes to the war, yeah, changing attitudes to Russia generally. So, and you gave that example, saying that well, you know those like that that bot factory in uh, in Saint Petersburg. I mean, they're, they're still operating out of Saint Petersburg, I think, aren't they? By all by all accounts, but they if you're saying they're fairly easy to to take down. Uh, why are we not doing that? Is it just or because, are we? Is that why uh, yeah. we haven't actually heard from them in a sense? Because uh, you know the the influence that you would imagine the Russians would want to be peddling at the moment in terms of changing the debate on Ukraine, saying we're too cold. We the Ukrainians have to negotiate. I mean, there's some of it, but there's not a lot. I think I I I think there there are two things uh, going on here. Uh, one, in terms of the big picture, you know, we will we will have to and we should study the lessons of the tragic events of 2022 um, for years to come. But I think one uh, provisional conclusion that you can draw is that cyber in a time of actual state-on-state war is perhaps a less effective and transformative capability than one might have thought, which is, I suppose, reassuring. Um, the less reassuring bit is that actually outside of formal state-on-state war, it is a constant source of harassment, intimidation, theft, loss, disruption, and so forth that will go on. So however this awful war ends, the cyber threat will not. Um, it will continue. Um, 
And the second thing is then it's fundamentally attritional. So, you know, you're both right in terms of your question. You know, these operations are happening and they are, people are trying to disrupt, whether it's by cyber disruption, whether it's by law enforcement action against, you know, some of the affiliates of these groups that travel to the West and so forth, whether it's, you know, restricting flows of money to them, whatever it is, we're doing uh, this. Some of the operations are really uh, uh, good, but it's attritional. You know, again, there's no magic button that can wipe them all out. Uh, you try and disrupt as much of, of it as often as you can, but you can't do all of it all of the time. So that report that was sort of like hidden for a while into uh, Russian involvement in influencing, uh, well, UK politics, the Brexit vote, the, the, the Scotland referendum, I mean, that was published in the end, wasn't it? One of the, the conclusions was that uh, the government did fail to investigate evidence of successful interference in democratic processes. Uh, is that just because we weren't ready for it? We just didn't see it as a as a priority. Was that an example of you know just an under the under the radar process? Because and, and maybe a- now we are better prepared because of that experience, and and that's why, as I said, it isn't happening now. But again, it's a bit more complicated than that. Firstly, that report was about the whole range of Russian activity, and we say it's cyber. Well, actually, the the the, the issue. I mean. Uh, the, um, the the subject of that report was Russian disruptive intent, intent against the UK as a whole. Some of it will be done by cyber, some of it will be done by human beings, some will be done by economic means, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Huge swathes of that report are about you know, Russian um, investments in the London property market and you know the presence of Russian oligarchs in, in, mm. in, in London, not, things that have nothing to do with cyber. So again, we sort of... Uh, uh, we sort of fetishize cyber as if it's all about cyber. It's not. This is a, the, 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 that issue is about the intentions of the Russian state as a whole and, and the UK state's response to that, and um, not specifically about whether people sitting with you know laptops and desktops or uh, what 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 they're um, uh, what they're doing uh, uh, to each other. Um, I think, the, um, and so the other thing that I, I and yeah, I've said this before, so I'd slightly push back on some aspects of that uh, uh, narrative. So in my time as head of the National Cybersecurity Center and its predecessor, uh, cyber defense uh, operations, you know, um, defending against Russian state-backed op- state operations took up a huge amount of our resources throughout that entire period. So I would... Um, push back on the assertion that we weren't, you know, focusing on investigating Russian state operations in cyberspace. We were doing an awful, an awful lot of that. <clears throat> There's another point, and I think this is really important in terms of our own confidence in our own institutions, which is not to, not to confuse intent with impact. So the Scottish referendum is a really good example of that, um, where, um, where mistaking intent for impact is really important. Uh, is it the case, as per the report, that there was an intent to try to uh, look at um, uh, some uh, uh, operations that might you know, mess up the debate in, in Scotland in 2014? Yes. Was there any noticeable impact on the conduct of that election? No. You'd know about it if there was. The contrast is with the United States in 2016, where even to this day, and I'm speaking to you from the United States, even to this day, people are arguing about the integrity of the 2016 election and the role of the Russian state. Is anybody, because of what the um, Russian state apparently did to the uh, to Secretary Clinton's campaign, can anybody give give us a specific example 
of some Russian operation that influenced the way people debated and discussed and voted about Scottish independence in 2014? No, because it was not an effective operation. It was not a sophisticated operation. So again, and if we start talking about, and I feel really passionately about this, if we start saying, oh, you know, the Russians are all over our politics and, you know, uh, and so forth, we're doing their job from, uh, for them. You can see that in, in the US where the destabilization of civil public discourse is a real, is, is a real problem. Do not confuse intent with impact. Right. And um, I think so. They aren't, so they aren't doing stuff, but it's. But I think that report said, you know, Russian influence is the new normal in the UK. Well, so, uh, but, but it's. But they. But but we're managing to influence that influence. We're, we're, to, we're stopping them in their tracks. Back, yeah. In his valedictory interview with the Financial Times, Sir Alex Younger, the distinguished and brilliant uh, former head of, of MI6, uh, said that most of the stuff he'd seen from Russia in his time as chief of, of, of SIS of MI6 had, and I quote, no strategic impact at all in the UK. And I would concur with that assessment. Right. So, so it's, it's, it's peripheral it's, stuff. There's an, it's interesting, the theme in a way that comes come from everything we've been talking about. Kieran, I mean, in a sense, almost pulling the rug from under your feet in a way, or certainly the, your, your former colleagues at the Cyber Centre, is that it's less important, less significant than we'd feared. I mean, and, and, and it's not that long ago that major MOD reviews were talking about changing, moving resources from tanks and ships and planes into people sitting at computers and doing stuff. And this was the new new arm of our defence. Are we, are we, have we vastly overestimated all this? No, we've misunderstood it. So um, the last thing I would want, I'd almost sort of, you know, plead with you not to broadcast this if that was a conclusion. <laughs> um, we have misunderstood what we're talking about. So we have we have catastrophized a threat. We've said, you know, this is about planes falling out of the sky. This is about, you know, power grids not working. Uh, this is about, you know, blackouts and having no connectivity and no ability to function and so on. Uh, this is about, you know, a fundamentally physically dangerous threat. It's, that's not really how it works. It is about our economy. It is about our way of life. It is about our ability to access healthcare, our ability uh, to educate children, to buy things in uh, uh, at shops. It's about our confidence in information. It's about our confidence in the integrity of elections and and, and so on. It's, mm. it, it's a chronic rather than catastrophic uh, uh, threat, which means that in war, actually, and this is what we're seeing, it doesn't actually uh, change that much. War changes a lot of things, um, but it, 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 it in terms of the cyber threat, it hasn't actually changed that much. That, in a sense, is good news in a time of war. But when the horrific war comes to an end, the cyber disruptive chronic threat's still going to be with us, and we're going to have to manage it, whatever happens. So, and and how bad's that going to get? So, I mean, you're saying don't catastrophize it. What is the worst that could happen? So, we've had examples like you know we talked about just before we started talking to you how the the pipeline in the United States that was uh, carrying jet fuel from yeah. uh, from Texas to New York, uh, how that got hacked and uh, by ransomware, and I think the company ended up having to to pay the uh, the ransom in. Because yes, right. it couldn't couldn't be resolved. So issue if they could, you know, and that, I don't think that I think that was just criminals, wasn't it? It wasn't state. Well, we, well, Kieran was saying it was criminals potentially linked in. Yeah, uh, to but if, but if, but if I mean if that tolerated can, if that can happen, then presumably you know there can be, and that you know that would be catastrophic to to not get fuel supplies. Presumably, we could see more more and more of that sort of thing happening. So I mean, that is quite catastrophic, isn't it? Well, it's it's. I mean, we we can debate how to describe it. Um, the reason why I'm saying, um, you know, distinguishing it from things that you might call catastrophic, 
is you know catastrophic tends to involve you know direct loss of life at large at large scale but the sort of thing you're talking about um phil is is very real it has happened observably and it could certainly happen um again so you know that and um that incident had nothing to do with the invasion of Ukraine. So mm. that's entirely possible that it could happen from a whole range of actors in all sorts of different places, whether Russian or otherwise, uh, in the future. So that's why cyber defense really, really matters. And that's why I push back on the point that you know, what I'm not saying is that this stuff isn't as important as we thought of it, as we thought it was. It's just uh, it, we should characterize it differently. Well, it, is it likely to develop, though, in ways? I and mean, you said it, at the moment it isn't uh, really an instrument of war. It doesn't actually affect what goes on on the battlefield. But could it get to that point? Is it just we're not that sophisticated at it yet, but it is in prospect? It might, and we have. Um, but the important thing is we have agency in all of this. So, um, you know, technology is changing. We all know that. Um, the sort of traditional web-based um technological infrastructure is moving on to internet of things to applied artificial intelligence to you know ultimately quantum uh, computing and, and and so on and if um and this is you know <clears throat> this is as much of an opportunity as 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 a threat but if we you know in our societies introduce this new technology in a fundamentally unsafe way then lots of quite disruptive things could happen um you know so for example uh, i mean the easiest way to think about this is um uh, uh, autonomous vehicles or you know let's call them what they are driverless cars um <clears throat> so if you put driverless cars uh, onto the roads with weak uh, security you could have all sorts of uh, disasters um but uh, you don't have to. And actually, you know, if you look on the streets of London or Washington, where I am uh, uh, at the moment, you don't see large scale uh, use of uh, driverless cars at the moment. Why? Is it because the technology is not yet developed? No, because we've all seen videos of driverless cars. We know that they uh, exist. We don't have a, a, a sort of um, uh, uh, economically viable safety model yet for uh, driverless cars, which is why they're not in widespread um, uh, use yet and, 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 and they're not allowed. In effect, at the minute, um, uh, you know, um, there's no way of um, making sure that driverless cars are safe without you sitting in the driver's seat ready to take over, which kind of, you know, um, means what's the point in having a driverless car. This for me is actually a good thing because it shows that we're saying that we're not going to deploy these new technologies and these new uses of those technologies until we've figured out a safe way of doing it. And that's exactly what we should be doing. Right. But I mean, one answer to that might actually be that driverless cars just communicate with other driverless cars in the nearby vicinity rather than sort of like the centralized approach which we have to the internet, which which gets to sort of like the next question, which is, you know, why is everything connected to everything? So the, the, if you look, you know, if, if there were gaps... Uh, why did that pipeline, for example, have to be online to to the point where it could be hacked? Couldn't it, you know, have its own system that's yeah, disconnected? Yeah, its own internet. internet. If you look at the one thing that we can't influence at the moment in this country, and you know, maybe this will change, is votes because you go and vote. Stubby you write, pencil. You, you stubby pencil on a bit of paper that's taken to a council office where people count them. Uh, so you can't influence that vote because it's not at all connected to the internet. But I mean, even where is that where, a safer way forward? Uh, yeah, where we have technology, why why this degree of connectedness do we need to put more sort of air gaps in the in the way so that you know russia can't get in 
So that's a great question. This is exactly the sort of discussion we should be having. So the pipeline is a failure of regulation. Uh, the pipeline itself um, was really hard to um, uh, hack the controls of it. Um, um, uh, so um, and, and the problem with the pipeline uh, was not that the pipeline was turned off. It was that, um, you know, uh, and it wasn't even the sort of air gaps because they didn't, um, you know, they hacked into the basic sort of administrative things, sort of emails, invoices, you know, HR database, that sort of thing. That's what they hacked into. Uh, they didn't jump onto the pipeline for that. What they did was they messed up the company's ability to organize its affairs so badly that the company decided to switch on the pipeline. That, for me, is a failure of regulation. So we need to look at that. You know, I, you always went around when I was head of the NCC, we'd go around and people would assure you that what you call operational technology, OT, you know, things like pipelines, power grids and so on, is separate from enterprise technology and so on. That was true in this case um, uh, at a sort of technical and formal level, but it wasn't sort of the whole truth uh, because it meant the company couldn't actually uh, administer uh, the pipeline. That's what we've uh, got to look at. In terms of things like electoral systems, again, I think, you know, you, this is exactly the sort of conversation you've, um, we've, we've, we've got to have. There are essentially three options uh, for an electoral system. Two of them are acceptable and one of them is unacceptable. So, um, uh, one acceptable option is to keep it as it is, which is manual and therefore not digitally hackable. That's fine. Um, it's kind of inefficient, um, uh, but um, given our emphasis on electoral integrity, um, uh, you, you know, that's a pretty good option. A second option is to do, for example, what Estonia has done, which is a very secure, uh, very highly developed you know, e-voting system. I remember talking to an Estonian uh, citizen in Brussels uh, on the day that she voted in a national election in Estonia remotely from Brussels in a way that commanded you know, high integrity and high confidence. One of the uh, uh, advantages Estonia has, it's only 1.3 million people, so it's sort of easier to, to, to do that, but it costs a lot of money and we might not want to spend that money. But again, you know, you can introduce secure digital uh, voting systems. It's just it's a massive operation at a time of, you know, constrained public finances. The question is, do you really want to prioritize this right now? But but it's doable. Uh, the unacceptable option is to introduce electronic voting, but do it in a sort of shoddy and insecure way. Uh, Sticks so on survey again, monkey. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, we have, we have a choice. Um, yeah. And, you know, I think it's perfectly reasonable in a country like the UK, with tight public finances um, uh, and you know reasonable public confidence in the electoral system to leave it as it is for now, yeah, yeah. Um, but it's not as if we should never move to online voting in the future. It's just it's a big job. Yeah, well, uh, fascinating thoughts there about the uh, the ways in which we could, but perhaps shouldn't go in 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 terms of. Uh, where we take our cyber abilities with obviously the threat of, of cyber but somehow effect. reassuring yeah. I mean yeah, we're, no, not, we're, we're not going to go, go through this year Kieran and yeah. find that all like our finance system collapses because Russia's hacked into the banking system somehow more chronic than catastrophic I think is that's a general my message thank view. you Roger Kieran thank you so much for being with us fascinating stuff and uh, yeah thanks a lot good to have you on thank you bye Gosh, well, uh, a sense that, that what is happening in the cyber world in, in warfare terms is, is chronic rather than catastrophic. It's not going to change the battlefield anytime soon. Yeah, well, let's hope so. Let's hope he's right. And uh, well, he seems to know what he's talking about more than we do, which is, <laughs> thank goodness, that's the way it works on this show, isn't it? We yes. get people on who know more than we do. Which is good. And they, some people out there might know what we're going to do next week, but I don't. Well, you know, we have, I've got this database. I've, ah. um, and uh, so I keep track of it all. Right. So I know exactly. Hang, no! 
Oh no, they no, got in. no, they've got in. They've oh, deleted no. everything. We have no idea we'll what have we're to pay doing lots next of money week to get it all sorted. Yeah, that's a bit of a problem, isn't it? <laughs> we might have to start all over again. Now, actually, the truth is, look, we're into a new year, and uh, yeah, we we we'll see we, what the landscape holds. Yeah, exactly. So you know, that's exciting. We don't know what's going to happen next week. Tune in. Tune in then. Thanks for listening this week. See you then. The why curve. <laughs>